stepping off the tour bus onto the streets of New York City for the first time I knew I had to live in this place. I was 13 on a tour with the Indianapolis Children's Choir. We were singing a concert at Carnegie Hall that weekend, but until then we got to see the city. A meal in Chinatown, a Broadway show, a walk through Central Park. I loved it all, but I learned everything I needed to know in that first step. When my Chuck Taylors touched the sidewalk, it was electric, the energy rushing down that block. All the people, all that noise, everything so close, so big, so in my face. I wanted to get caught up in it, to become part of it. And after the concert, when I went home to my quiet Midwestern life, I dreamed of when I would go back. Four years later, a high school senior, I walked into a black box theater on the top floor of the art school at NYU. I was auditioning for the musical theater program and I put the cassette of my voice teacher playing piano accompaniment into the boom box there at the edge of the stage. And I took my place and I said my name and I nodded for them to start. I was singing some romantic ballad. I think good thing going, Sondheim. But the person before me must have been like tap dancing over 76 trombones because the volume on the boom box was all the way up. I panicked and tried to match that intensity, belting this love song instead of crooning it. And it was all wrong. I was in my head and not in the scene. There was nowhere for me to build to that big finish. By the time it came time for my monologue, I recited the words, but I wasn't really there. I was just in my head asking, how did this happen? How did it go so wrong? I met my parents in the hall and told them I didn't get it. It took another three weeks for the school to confirm that, but I, I knew. I pushed through the revolving door downstairs and out onto those electric seats, and now everything had changed. Or everything was the same, but it meant something different. All those people were now the ones who had what it took to live in this city, and I didn't. All that noise was the accompaniment to someone else's story, too loud for me to be heard over. Everything so big, so beautiful, so alive in that place reminded me of what I'd lost. Everything I'd loved about the city had been turned against me. The whole world flipped upside down. Even a scrap of paper that I had held in my wallet where I had written in the tiniest font, all the names of the people who were rooting for me, who were in my corner that weekend, now became a list of people I had let down. When I got home, I threw it away and I asked my mom to cancel all the other auditions and then I locked myself in my room. That's the way it is with failure, with loss, with death even. The world changed in an instant. 
The morning after a family member's diagnosis, it was the good things that suddenly hurt the most. Every smile, every laugh, all the hopes and dreams that we'd had turned upside down. The things that were the best becoming the most painful because they represented exactly what we were losing. The way a landscape is changed after a death or after a breakup, loss everywhere you look. That was his favorite restaurant. That's where we had our first kiss. We were over there that time that we laughed until we couldn't breathe. Each joy turned to pain until you have to retreat, draw yourself in, avoid it all because it hurts too much. Tis a fearful thing to love what death can touch. A fearful thing to love, to hope to be, to be and oh to lose a thing for fools, this. This is a strange resurrection story that Rebecca read for us, this one from Mark. The most incredible thing has happened. Jesus has risen from the dead and the women who have followed him, learned from him, loved him, are too terrified to tell anyone, too afraid even to let themselves believe it. They go back to where the disciples are all pulled up together. Mark doesn't say where, but in the other gospels, it's a locked room someplace. They close the doors, cover the windows, shut everything out. Death has touched it all. It means something different than it had even a few days before. The world was supposed to become the kingdom of God, a place of love and of justice, a place where poor people and, and mourners are blessed. And now it's a place of danger and suffering, everything a reminder of how they failed, of how wrong it all went. A week ago, the city of Jerusalem welcomed them with a parade. All those people, all that noise, folks tossing their clothes in the streets and screaming. It was electric. Now that sweet moment stings worse than the betrayal or the death even. How they foolishly believed that the world could change. Naively thought there was no going back. It hurts to think of it, so they shut out the world, cancel all their plans. And Mary and Mary and Salome go out only as far as the tomb, and, and only because they have to, and only under cover of darkness. But he's not there. And the one who is tells them that Jesus will meet them back home in Galilee. Get out and go, and you'll learn the truth, that the world has changed for the better, that the party has begun. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's breaking in. Death has been defeated. Life and love have the last word. Just get out and go to Galilee. You'll see. That's the last place they want to travel, back to where it all started, where every mountain and every seashore bears the imprint of a memory of him. 
where the family they left to follow Jesus is there to welcome them back with an I told you so. Where the sweetest, most incredible moments of their lives, the time when he fed 5,000 people with almost nothing, the time he stilled that storm, the night he turned water into wine, those miraculous memories will sting the most because they'll remind them of what they've lost. They have loved what death could touch, and it has made fools of them. They can't go back. We were talking before the Monday Thursday service this week about that feeling now when you're watching TV and you see people doing something that's impossible during the pandemic. At our house, we'll see a full train car or a crowded dance floor and say, COVID! It's transformed our experiences of these stories and of life, made them mean something different so that the scenes that should be the most fun or heartwarming are suddenly alarming and uncomfortable. We see danger everywhere now, hugs and handshakes and parties and planes and trains and church Death has touched it all. Or really, death was always touching it all. We just didn't see it. We didn't understand how risky it all was. To stand shoulder to shoulder with people on the ground line, to be in a stadium full of cheering fans, to walk up and shake the hand of a stranger, to sing our hymns into the same air, to huddle close around the family of the kid we've just baptized, to dip bread in the same cup. What fools we were being to think we were safe. How naive. And not just because of COVID. Everything that's happened in the last year, in the last four years, in however many years it's been since you believed that things could actually change, that the world might become a place of love and justice, that there was no going backward from the progress we had made. Now we know better than to trust the one who invites us into that kind of work. Now we know it's so much safer inside, at a distance. So much safer to not get too close, to not share too much, to not get our hopes up. It's too dangerous to be connected, too painful to care, too complicated when it all goes wrong. All Lent at Bethany, we've been talking about party planning, getting ready to host a resurrection party. But we haven't talked about attending that party, which is the worst part of a party. This introvert like me. Seems like about half the crowd. Extroverts over here, introverts over here. We haven't talked about getting an invitation and being asked to RSVP, figuring out what to wear and when to arrive and who to bring along. We haven't talked about all the pressure, all the anxiety, all the fear that comes with saying yes to the party. Even before we were all socially awkward from the pandemic, the fear of leaving my house, my bubble, my comfort zone, the fear of letting myself be seen, 
letting myself be known, of getting too close, of getting my hopes up. The fear of letting myself believe there could be something to celebrate in the first place. That I might belong somewhere, might get caught up in it, become part of it. That the world could be different, better, that love could win out over death. It's terrifying to let myself believe it. It's hard to trust the voice that says, meet me in Galilee. We're going to have a party there. You've got to come out back into life, back into the work of changing the world. I know it looks like we failed, like it's over, done, dead, but it's just beginning. Come to the resurrection party. I've left my tomb. Now leave yours. And just to be clear, that voice is not saying, like, let's all take off our masks and meet inside next week. It's not that voice. It's only saying when it's time, when it's possible, let's weave our lives back together again in all the dangerous ways we've always been doing. The resurrection doesn't mean the disciples are safe. They all die. I mean, by now. It means they can see now the danger in what they've always been doing. Siding with the poor over the powerful. Insisting that love is more important than law. Giving people hope they can see how risky all of that is now. How risky it will always be to bet your life on love in a world that only ever half believes it. They can see the possibility of failure, the likelihood of it, and they can choose it anyway. It has always been a risk to love each other, but now that our eyes are open to that risk, let's do it anyway. Now that we know the danger that comes choosing to live connected to one another, breathing the same air, sharing the same food, trying to care for each other like members of the same body, welcoming strangers, loving neighbors. Now that we know that that body that we share can be touched by death, that it has been, the invitation is to trust that death is not the last word for us or for our world that the world can change, however foolish it seems to believe it. The invitation is to hope, even though our hopes can be dashed, to reject the safety of the tomb and embrace the danger of life together, to open the curtains and unlock the door and pack our bags for Galilee, to risk it all for love. It is a holy thing, a holy thing to love. For your life has lived in me, your laugh once lifted me, your word was gift to me. To remember this brings painful joy. It is a human thing, love, a human thing to love what death has touched. Death has touched it all, will touch it all. We know now if we didn't before. And yet God is throwing a party in every place of painful joy, declaring foolishly that the world can still change 
has changed will change for the better, that it will become a place of love and justice, that love, not death, will have the last word, and you are invited, whoever you are, just as you are, to emerge from the safety of your tomb and make yourself vulnerable to hope again. Could it possibly be true? Let's open the door, come out and see.